Welcome to The Racing Mentor with Jess Shanahan, a brand new podcast that will help you fund your racing career and reach new heights. Hello ladies and gentlemen, today I am going to be talking to Rob Headley of Brick Car and we're going to be discussing everything from the background of the championship to how they work with sponsors to the drivers coming through both the saloon classes and the GT classes as well. Before we get onto that interview, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have reviewed the podcast so far, who have followed on SoundCloud, and who keep coming back for more. It's really appreciated. Um, You can find out more about Racing Mentor and what I'm doing over at racingmentor.com, and there's loads of extra information on the blog in terms of how to pick up sponsorship, how to make those first approaches to potential sponsors, and so much more. I'm updating weekly with new articles, and there are obviously new podcasts going out every Wednesday. So now, over to Rob. Hi Rob, thank you for joining me today. Pleasure. Um, I'm sure most of the people listening today know what Brick Car is, but for those that don't, could you give us a bit of background? Yeah, uh, it was originally started by uh, a gentleman called James Tucker um, back in 2005, I do believe. Um, and it was basically, uh, there was a lot of cars out there that hadn't got anywhere to race. They, they were old cars that used to run for, in single make series like the Carrera Cup cars, that sort of thing, Porsche, um, sorry, Freud Challenge cars. And he basically put together an endurance racing series to, for them to, to allow them to race, where it's quite an open category. Uh, I mean, fast forwarding nearly 20 years, is that me? Wow. Um, we, uh, or 10, 15 years, um, my wife and I, Claire, and we, Claire had worked with James for about 11, 12 years, quite a while. Um, the opportunity came up to buy the championship and we jumped at the chance uh, and obviously our, last year was our first year keeping the same um, type of cars so it's uh, it ranges from uh, the top class is gt3 or gt3 equivalent which is one of the beauties of of brick car i'll come to that on a, in a bit um and then the lowest class uh we've got or sh- i shouldn't say we say lowest the uh, the uh Slightly down the order class, can't really think how to say it. Entry um, level. <laughs> entry level, yes, that's a good one, yes. We have a smart car running with us. Uh, we have Ford Fiestas running with us. So you don't need to be blasting around in a 600 brake horsepower GT3 car. Um, you can um, enter the championship. And, of course, those cars are more than capable of winning the whole championship because if, uh, if they win in their class, then they can win the whole championship overall. Fantastic. And uh, and what about you? What's your background? I'm a former professional racing driver. Um, I raced everything, basically. Uh, I eventually got myself, because I'm I'm not from a a rich family. I haven't had that that luxury. Um, Everything I've done has been through sponsorship or saving money up or getting loans or not that I'd recommend that. and I've got myself up to racing Indy Lights in America. I did Barber Dutch Pro Series in America. It was it was in America that I really sort of found fortune. Uh, I landed lucky um, with a number of sponsors that wanted to support me. Um, and yeah, I raced Indy Lights. Unfortunately, I had a huge crash back in 2006. 
uh, testing an Indy Lights car where I hit a wall at 148 miles an hour and broke my back and my neck and shattered my knee Wow! in a coma for three days. But I'm all fine now. I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm still here. I'm still racing. I'm still enjoying life where I've had friends who've crashed at a slower speed to me and they've unfortunately no longer with us. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I... Uh, sorry. No, no, go on, go okay. on. I was going to say, yeah, I've, I've, since then I, I gave up racing um, for three years because I knew I couldn't get back to the point I was. Got tempted back in by a friend. Um, and since then I've done British GT. I've done a little bit of British touring car, although I never actually made it to the grid. Um, and I'm looking for this year, I'm hoping, I'm speaking to sponsors at the moment, of uh, racing in the British GT Championship again in a 488 Ferrari GT3. Oh, lovely. So yes, nice. going going back to brick car, you, I, I've seen I've been I'm kind of following all the driver signups and everything, and there's loads of people on board for this season, which starts in April. Do you kind of yep. have any predictions, or, or can you share anything about how the season might unfold? Yeah, we've got as as of today, we've got 31 signed up, which is an amazing increase. As in our first year, we were. After the first race, we had 27 cars, but it was a lot of people were coming to support Claire because Claire had been with Britkoff for so long and they wanted to come in and, and support um, Claire. That died down in the middle of the season, unfortunately. Uh, some of the circuits that weren't as popular down to about 11, 12 cars. Um, and I think a lot of people just wanted to keep an eye on Britkoff just to see how the new guys were going to do it, see what was going to change. And from the looks of it, with 31 signed up, uh, with I think about 73% of those are um, doing the full championship, um, then we seem to have done a good job so far, but fingers crossed. So, But yeah, I mean, we always have people joining us throughout the year. So, I mean, it could get to a point where we're, we've got full grids. I think the minimum we can run is 38 at Brands Hatch, some, around that sort of figure. So in terms of how you work with brands as Britcar, I know I noticed that you've got obviously the official sponsors, media partners, and then you have your kind of member network partners. Yes. Can you go into a, a bit more detail about kind of how you work with those brands, um, kind of what Britcar gets from it, but also what they get from it as well? Yeah, we've got our title sponsors, which at the moment is Dunlop. Obviously, they pay us a, uh, an amount of money to be the sponsors of the championship. Uh, and obviously, they, they, they've got their tidying with that is the tyre um, contract so that we're committed to Dunlop for another two years now. We've had Pirelli and, and um, Hancock and those approach us, but we've sort of we're more than happy with Dunlop. And I mean, chances are we will stay with them. Uh, obviously, they get uh, Dunlop get the tyre supply and, and, and the business that comes with that. But they also get another avenue um, to sort of further promote their um, their products. Um, we've also got, as you mentioned, we've got our championship sponsors that are, they'll be paying us obviously a smaller amount of money to be associated with the championship, but as a, in a return, they get um, the TV promotion, they get access to our grids, which of course, if you look at the actual sponsors we've got, they're all motorsports, sort of biased companies so they want to get into our grid because i mean 
a grid of 31 cars there's a lot more than 31 people there there's there's uh, quite a large grid and lots and lots of teams lots of professional teams um there that, that these guys want to get in with um so that they can uh, sell their products essentially and then finally we've got the the um the brick car members club which is actually when you register to race in the championship you become a brick car member and we've done deals with a large number of um companies uh where they will get um between 30 and 10 percent off um this company's products purely for racing in with us so we give them a little bit of promotion give them access to our competitors they give our competitors um a 10 percent or 30 percent up to 30 percent off their products which can be a huge saving over the year of motorsport i mean that side of it we don't actually get involved with we don't take anything we we put that there to benefit our members we weren't going to try and jump in and make a bit of profit off it we basically use it as a, as an added draw to the championship to bring more people in okay that's great and obviously that not only brings in more drivers to the championship but also more people sponsors and businesses who want to get involved and kind of be part of what you're doing as well exactly exactly and we are looking to expand it as well so it's not just um motorsport biased companies i mean we've had talks with various clothing companies um handbag companies shoe companies toy companies to sort of bring in so it's not it doesn't just benefit the and i hope i don't sound sexist the man who's racing or woman who's racing um it's also the the sort of the family can benefit from them racing and it just sort of I suppose it, it lessen, lessens the burden on them having to explain they're going racing again in front of the weekend. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and it makes your whole brand kind of more lifestyle focused, which opens up yeah, so exactly. much more as well. Exactly. So um, in terms of, say, TV coverage and that kind of thing, what kind of opportunities can Britcar provide for drivers and the sponsors that they bring into the championship as well? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a... I won't say a sore subject, but it's one that's been discussed at length with the direct with the directors of Britcar, myself, Claire, and then the other two are Claire's father, um, Jeff, and Claire's brother, Jason. Um, they're from a historic world where TV coverage is next to nothing, apart from the Silverstone Classic, that sort of thing. So they could, initially couldn't see the benefit of TV, and of course it's very expensive to have TV. On average, it's about for a brick car race weekend, it's probably about £8,000 to have the TV company there. Yeah, wow. Um, um, and we obviously, we foot a lot of that bill. Obviously, the competitors pay for some of themselves through their entry fees. But on the benefits side, I mean, one of the problems with brick car was it was a destination championship. It was where people went to buy off, basically. Drivers would come and race in brick car for the rest of their um, careers, at the end of their careers. And it was just gentleman drivers, and that was it. Whereas I wanted to turn it into a championship that people wanted to use to get on to further things. Because, of course, there's, there's, a, there's a finite amount of gentleman drivers you can tap into. There's an endless stream of career drivers, young lads that want to get up and up uh, through the ranks. Uh, and I wanted to, brick car to be seen as that professional championship that will... Um, will help them with their career and as part of that we need tv coverage because those guys are bringing sponsors in um they're, they're bringing sort of family money in and and i mean as well it's just i mean for someone 
I mean, to run a GT3 car for the weekend, you're probably talking around £20,000 the guys pay for to run the car for the weekend. Um, and a little bit of coverage, seeing themselves on TV, um, it makes it a little bit more worthwhile than just sort of some championship. And it gives you a bit more kudos as well, the fact that it's on TV. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, a, it was a hard decision to make because it's a lot of money to commit to. I mean, especially if you have 10 rounds. Mm. I mean, £80,000 worth of TV coverage. And you can't guarantee people are going to turn up for it. But we've still got to pay that bill. So, But, I mean, fingers crossed and touch wood, we're, we're looking good for this year. So, Brilliant. Something's I, working. I, I think it's definitely working in terms of bringing in that new talent. Because I know that you've had um, younger drivers come in. Phil Hansen, for example, who have come to you straight from karting. So yeah. is this something you're looking to do more of then and bringing in those yes. drivers? Yeah, I mean, Phil and Nigel, who won the championship last year, um, which was, I mean, that was a story in itself. They actually finished joint on points with Steve Fressel and Jakob Matthiasen, who were a class three car. And we had to count backwards um, on number of wins um, to sort of work out who'd won. And they got exactly the same number of wins each. They got exactly the same number of seconds each. They got exactly the same number of thirds each. And it wasn't until we got to fourth places, um, they'd got a fourth and a fifth, which meant that uh, um, Phil uh, Hansen and Nigel Moore actually won. But they've actually gone on now to um, the European Le Mans series. They'll be racing an LMP3 uh, car in the European Le Mans series. So it's already starting to work, the, the formula we've put in place. And then this year we've got uh, via Team Hard, we've got two young lads who come straight out of junior fiestas. They've jumped in in a class three car, uh, Janetta, to race. Uh, and they want to, again, want to head on up to Le Mans, um, endurance racing. One guy wants to go to DTM, that sort of thing. So the, the, the steps we've put in place seem to be working already, which is good. Good, good quick return. Yeah, that's brilliant. So... In terms of looking at kind of a driver's wider career, where do you feel Brit Car fits in? Do you think it's kind of that stepping stone from going from, say, club racing, be it in a Fiesta or something like that, to getting used to kind of that endurance format to go up to GT, other GT racing series? Yeah, Jess, that's, ex that's exactly where we're pitching it is... Um, we're trying to be a feeder series for things like um, British GTs, GT Open, those more international um, series. We've had a few people who, who've spoken to us at the Autosport show, like, I'm, I want to go and do British GTs, and I've warned them against it because I know many a person who's got the money to do it, and they've gone to British GTs, and they've stopped racing because British GTs is an elite championship. There are very, very, very good drivers spending a lot of money to be at the front of that championship. And if someone goes in with, without a lot of experience, they're going to hate racing very, very quickly. So we're, we've pitched it in exactly as you said, guys who are coming from club racing where they're either single make or just uh, a smaller championship um, come in through us. And then that then leads them on to, longer races because that's a skill in on its own is, is the longer racing i mean a lot of club racers come to us and they've done 15 20 minute races and then all of a sudden they do an hour stint in a car and it's completely different it's so draining and mentally drain more than physically draining um so to train your body to do that is always an advantage before you go into longer races and 
I mean, we've gone, we had three and four hour races last year. We've shortened that down to the maximum race we do is two hours to bring it more into line with British GTs and, and, and GT Open and that, that sort of thing. So we can feed, feed guys through onto that. So with the drivers that are coming through from club racing, where they may be doing these 15 or 20 minute races, is there something in place within Brick Car, be it through testing or instruction, to kind of help them get used to the endurance format before they go into a full, you know, hour-long race? Yeah, it's it's not something that, I mean, we organise uh, tests ourselves uh, before the events. Um, they're not exclusive tests, but we book out a, 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 a large number of slots just for our competitors and give them garages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I mean, we always encourage, um, teams to talk to each other and to actually help each other out. I mean, and, and if there is a guy struggling, um, with the techniques, with the, um, strategy, um, I mean, I could always jump in with those guys or, and I've got a, a handful of instructors at my sort of, um, beck and call that I can call in and people that I would feel confident instructing these younger guys because they're, one thing you do find is they're full of bravado, a little bit too much bravado sometimes. And just, just of course, endurance racing, you have to temper that back a little bit because the car's going to run. If they're doing 15-minute races in a two-hour race, that's more or less their their season of racing in one sort of race. So they have to sort of temper it back a bit, which is the hardest thing to get across to the young, especially the young guys. The older guys, not so, so much, but the exuberance of youth takes over sometimes. Okay, so for anyone who's listening who is getting to that stage where they're looking for budget to make a step potentially towards brick car, can you give an idea of some of the costs for the different classes? Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, um, like, start at the most expensive. Class 1, GT3 cars. um, One of the beauties of brick car is you don't need a gt3 car to racing class one it's got to be the equivalent of gt3 um so people come in i mean um johnny mcgregor is a class one car that's nowhere near the cost of a gt3 car but if you were looking at a brand spanking new if you were going to buy a gt3 car you're talking about four hundred thousand pounds worth of car there um and then running it for the year um you're probably talking one hundred and fifty thousand pounds to run the car for the year competitively i mean i'm talking competitively um Class two is the uh, the challenge cars, like the Lamborghini Challenge, the Ferrari Challenge. Those cars are a little bit cheaper, obviously. Um, secondhand, you can pick one of those up for around the 200,000 mark. Again, it's still a lot of money. Um, but running one of those for the year is, I'd say, below 100,000. Uh, class three, which is our most competitive class, is GT4 or equivalent cars. Um and of course, you, a hundred thousand pound, you can pick a competitive one of those up for, uh, and run it for about the same sort of money, maybe less, depending on how many sets of tires you use. And then into class four and five, you're into the production cars. So um, M3 BMWs are a popular one. Uh, Seat Leon Super Copers. Um, as I said, there's a smart car going round. Uh, Fiestas, the um, the mini cars, mini challenge cars. Um, all, all these cars that run with a slight bit of um, a slight change to the configuration where they put a slightly bigger fuel tank in and maybe turn the power down just a little bit 
just to get it so it's a bit more reliable. But um, I mean, running a mini uh, for the year, you're talking budgets of twenty to thirty thousand pounds, depending on how you run it. Obviously, if you're throwing new sets of tires on it every single session, then it, it soon jumps up, and you do a lot of testing. But I mean, being a competitive class four or class five car is the equivalent to running um, in a lot of these the sprint championships. It, you get a lot more track time with brick car, obviously, because the longer races, but also you get a, a, a warm up and a longer qualifying, et cetera, et cetera, because there are so many cars trying to do it. So it is more cost efficient to race in a longer race series such as ours than with um, in a sprint championship. Yeah, because there's a lot of time waiting or waiting around, which is one of the big frustrations with people. Mm. So uh, I know that there are a lot of teams out there as well that have drives available. Do you have any kind of example costs for maybe uh, a one-off race just to kind of give people an idea who might kind of want to dip their toe in or might have raised a little bit of budget and want to show what they can do before they raise the rest? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of teams out there. Um, and it, it all depends on, on at what point you catch the the, um, the team owners. You can get some absolute bargains if you can catch them just for the race. Actually, um, just for the race weekend, you can get some bargains. But I mean, uh, like um, I know there are there are drives out there for two thousand um, pounds, all in, um, including tires, fuel, entry fees, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, which will be in a competitive class four car. Um, class four or class five car depending on who you go with obviously if you go with um say someone like ff course who've got a big infrastructure there's a lot of guys there there's a lot of mechanics they have tire technicians they have um fuel technicians um it's a totally professional outfit you you're probably talking around the fifteen thousand pound mark for the weekend uh, maybe a little bit less but if you go with the smaller teams who are just as competitive who haven't got the four or five articulated trucks to turn up and that sort of stuff they've just got maybe their own articulated truck or just a trailer um then yeah you can be down in the thousands the, like one or two thousand pounds worth of um of uh, entry and and you can be on the grid with the guys who are paying fifteen thousand pounds and you you're doing exactly the same time at exactly the same track and having exactly the same amount of fun just not quite as quick and uh, I, I know that you have uh, the marketplace on the Brick Car website. Um, is that generally the best place to to find these drives? Yeah, I mean everything we get, um, we will put up there. Um, if we do have drivers contacting us direct, which is fine because we can then give them a bit of advice on what we should think they should do. I mean we have we, we have a few guys coming to us saying I've got this amount of money and we will steer them to another championship because we don't, what we don't want is to grab every single person we can and shove into our championship. And then all of a sudden we've got no one driving in it because they've run out of money. So we'll sort of steer them towards championships that we know and trust. And, and, and then hopefully with us helping them that way, they'll then come back to us when they've got a little bit more budget where they can, they can sort of run with us or, or a bit more experience. Cause although you can run in Brit car, um, on a novice cross and i mean chris murphy who finished fifth in the championship last year he was a novice driver he had his cross on for most of the year um i mean he was a, a british um quad biking champion so he got racing in his blood but he's the first to tell you he's not the quickest driver out there he just enjoyed it but with him it was consistency he just kept going around and going around and 
finished fifth in the championship in his first ever year of, 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 of racing cars. So, I mean, we do we we do prefer to have people with a little bit of experience because, of course, there's a, a big speed difference between the class one cars and the class five cars. But generally, a little baptism of fire and most people have, have, have got that. And we very rarely have any contact, which is a, a bonus for our championship. So I want to move on to kind of talking about how drivers can get to this level and talk about a bit more about obtaining that kind of sponsorship. So I often talk about how drivers need to start thinking more like a business. Do you have any advice for drivers who see, say, GT racing as their goal based on your experiences as a driver and also with Britcar? Yeah, I mean, I've seen, uh, obviously, I, I mean, I've been finding sponsors for 20 years. It's, I've learned the tricks the hard way. Um, and one of the big problems that I see when I see people's uh, sponsorship proposals is the majority of people are asking for money to race. And of course, no one's going to give you money to race. People are going to give you money for a service that you provide them. And th- the biggest pitfall that a lot of young drivers or even older drivers fall into is I'm racing in this championship. Uh, I need this amount of money and no company's going to do that. You've got to prove to them what you can give, what you can give them back in return. And it, if it's a service that, um, that they desire, they need, then of course it's very easy to get the money off them. I mean, something that um, a very good um, sponsorship guy told me, Rick Rastazak, his name was American guy. He said that no one's got a budget for motorsport sponsorship until you give them something they need. So you've got to you've you've got to give them a unique service that they need for their business and can grow. And it is quantifiably you, you can look at the results of it and see that it's growing the business as a direct result. Um, I mean, going along and saying, I'll put your name on the side of the car again, there's n- unless it's a company that's specifically aiming itself at the spectators at the event. A name on the side of, car, of the car is of no real value. It's a benefit to brand promotion, but it doesn't really benefit the company financially at all, really. It, it, it's everything that goes around it. It's, it's the whole structure of the stands at the show, the corporate hospitality, the using the video, the, the, the photography um, as promotion, whether it's TV or stands or the car at a show that's the package that that people get interested in not just putting the name on the side of the car and then paying for you to go racing because i've had a lot of guys say to me well why would i pay for you to go racing when i could pay for myself to go racing so yeah this is something that i go on and on about Um, and i do think a lot of drivers do really struggle to kind of sell themselves and the benefits of what they can provide in that way so do you have any yeah. advice to those drivers who are starting to understand that they need to offer something to a company? Do you have any advice for working out exactly what those benefits are to a specific, you know, potential sponsor that they're about to approach? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the worst thing you can do is is to actually do like a bulk email and just fire it across to 100 or so companies because It'll be obvious to those companies it's a bulk email and there's no thought gone into it. What you need to do is is do your research. Find 
whether they've sponsored before, find out what they've done before as part of promotions, that sort of thing, and tailor it individually to them. I mean, if you can get to speak to someone within the company, not particularly the person you're trying to pitch it to. Uh, I mean, one of the tricks uh, a guy called Brian Sims used to do, he used to, um, brilliant, amazing book. It's a sponsorship, a professional's guide. Um, that's what that's the first place I'd recommend people go into it's by Brian Sims, amazing, amazing guy who worked for Jordan. He worked for Benetton. And one of the things he used to do, he used to phone up the PA of the, the marketing director um, and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be speaking to so-and-so. How do you think I should approach it? And of course, she then feels involved and she'll tailor it to the way she thinks it should be. So things like you've, you've got to do your homework. You can't just go. There's no point just doing a blanket email because you won't get any results. I learned that the hard way. That's what I, how I started out. And I was spent year after year of getting nothing back at all. And it wasn't until I got worked hard on getting a connection into the company and getting a personal connection into the company somehow, some way, that I actually started to get results. And the next thing, and it's a, one thing that people... A lot of the guys I've seen who've, who've managed to get a sponsor, it's hard to get a sponsor, but it's not impossible, um, is you've got to look after them. You've got to do everything they expect you to do before they even think of saying it to you. Because the, it's very easy for them to go and find somewhere else. And something you will find is when you take your sponsor to the race circuit, expect people to approach them. They will. People, It's a cutthroat world. You'll have people coming in. I had a situation where I was um, signed up to do British touring cars and unfortunately um, another team came in and started approaching them. The sponsor didn't like the fact he was being approached and being pressured by this other team and he pulled out. So I lost my drive, unfortunately. It is a cutthroat world and you've got to expect it, it will happen. I can guarantee it will happen. But if you're giving them exactly what they need and it's a brilliant service and you're loyal to them, then chances are they'll stick with you and you'll you'll have uh, many years good racing together so in, in that kind of case do you think it's important to find that unique selling point so your own unique selling point for what you can offer as a driver over you know someone in you know on the grid next to you exactly exactly and i mean the first step of that is the is the personal relationship with the sponsor uh it's no good just dealing with the guy on the phone and never actually meeting them. You've got to meet them. You've got to get that relationship together so that they feel a loyalty towards you as, as well as you towards them. Um, and some, I mean, I've seen guys who have been amazing, uh, unbelievably quick racers who can't string two sentences together. And of course, as soon as he gets into that big wide world of um, they've got to go up on a stage to, present to their sponsors or to just to meet their, the, the guests on the day they struggle with that so i mean one tip could be is to, to to take a public speaking course i did i took one myself i wasn't the best at public speaking i do tend to go on a little bit too much now but uh, i uh, i found it brilliant because the guy sat me down and, and told me where i was going wrong which is i prefer it that way i'd rather have be told i was doing something wrong so i can fix it as opposed to thinking i'm doing everything right so um, yeah, the ability to be a, a good public speaker, to be confident. And of course, the, the overriding thing is the passion for what you do is if you can get your sponsor to believe in the passion that you've got for it, it's an easy, easy thing to do then. 
Okay. And one thing that I've had a lot of drivers coming to me with, or aspiring drivers, should I say, are people that they haven't been able to get out in a race car uh, because they have no budget, but they're really passionate. They, they know what benefits that they can kind of offer but there's no experience there on track. There's yeah. a huge group of these people struggling to get funding because they just don't have that experience and they haven't been able to build an audience. Do you have yeah. any tips for those people who want to get into racing? Yeah, I mean, there, there are there are ways of doing it. Um, I entered, when I first started, I entered a number of, um, of scholarships uh, where you, the, you go through various rounds and eventually you end up, hopefully... I never actually managed. I made it into the finals of every one, but I never actually made it into the actual final seat um, where you can get some racing experience. And one of the problems I made, one of the, the mistakes I made is I, I aimed too high when I first started. I wanted to come in at this level, even though I've got no experience. Um, and I had to take a bit of a reality check and sort of step back and actually go right to the grassroots of motorsport and start that way. Um and there's always opportunities out there. Um, I mean, I know that for the uh, the MR2 Championship, I know there's, there's guys there that are racing. And I think a, a race weekend is £700, around that sort of figure. Obviously, don't quote me fully on that one. But just getting yourself out in a race car and proving you've got a competitive nature and, and proving you've got that skill and that edge and that push to actually get it, get onto the grid in the first place means a lot to a sponsor. Because, of course, they want those characteristics associated with their company so it's uh, it is a hard one i mean I, I always say to people if i had a pair of handmade italian football boots um every, for every 20 minutes i ever played in football it still wouldn't equal one race weekend that i've done because it is an expensive sport but there are amazing ways and means and just keep pushing never give up i've never give, given up i've had times when i've been sleeping in the back of my ford fiesta eating a pot noodle at a race meeting because I couldn't afford anything else. Uh, and I managed to get myself to a point where I was a professional driver earning a very good wage and living every boy's dream, really. Would you have any advice for yourself now that you know now that you would give, you know, back when you were kind of just starting out? It would, it would be to say, don't aim too high to start with. Yeah. I, tried to go straight in on a national championship um couldn't get the budget together couldn't do this couldn't get that i did the odd race here and there and of course it when you get that opportunity when you've worked so hard for that opportunity to actually race you've got to take every possible chance to show how good you are so jumping in midway through a season in a national championship where you've got the best drivers in you're never going to look good. You never. It's never going to be a good result. You might finish mid-pack, but of course you're swamped by everyone else because you haven't run that car all year. You're jumping straight in and qualifying. You haven't done any testing in the car. So it, it, it's got to be start lower and work your way up. All, all the, um, a lot of the guys like uh, Andy Prio came from stock cars and um, a lot of the British touring car guys, the original guys, came from stock car oval racing that sort of thing and they've worked the way up because it does build a foundation for your driving skills whereas if you're trying to play catch-up too early you start to get a bit disillusioned with your own ability so I, th I think that would be my best advice is don't try and start too high too soon 
That's brilliant. Thank you so much. I, I, I know that all of this information and kind of your experiences is, is going to ring true and help uh, a lot of people who are listening today. Um, that's the end of my questions. So unless you have anything else you would like to add? No, I mean, it's if, if, if any of the listeners do want to find out about uh, either racing in brick car or would just like some advice on, on their careers or would just like some help, I mean, I've been in, the, in their position. I, I, my dad was a mechanic. My mum was a secretary. We hadn't got a lot of money. Uh, I'm one of four children. So obviously the money that we did have was shared out amongst them. So I had to do it all on my own. Um, I'm more than happy to help those guys and point them in the right direction and, and, and sort of let them learn from the mistakes that I made all those years ago and uh, have learned from. So. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. My pleasure, Jess. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye. Once again, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you have any feedback or want to request a specific guest or have any questions, just email me on jess at racingmentor.com. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.